Just because we're boring is beautiful doesn't mean we'll be, we won't be opportunistic. Um, and there will be opportunities in this dislocation that I expect will occur where e either it's going to be a portfolio or it's going to be a business. It'll be something where we can buy it at a discount to the extent that we can find on a relative value basis opportunities to invest in companies at a discount because the lender needs liquidity. We're going to do that all day long. And I think it goes beyond uh, the capital. We'll, we'll look at people, we'll look at businesses, we'll look at everything. I truly believe that we need some sort of reset here uh, in this asset class. That was Ian Fowler. And this is Streaming Income, a podcast from Bearings. I'm your host, Greg Campion, and today we're talking about trends in the private credit market. Today's episode is a special one. What follows is a conversation between my colleagues and co-heads of Bearings Global Private Finance Group, Ian Fowler and Adam Wheeler. The two recently caught up in London on the back of the Super Return Conference and sat down to discuss their latest thoughts on the trends shaping private credit markets across geographies. Specifically, they talk about how the economic backdrop is impacting the outlook for the asset class and the types of portfolios and assets that appear to be better positioned heading into a potential recession. They also discuss the current competitive dynamics in this space and how a few emerging trends among private equity managers are shaping the opportunity set. And finally, they talk about where they are seeing relative value today, both across geographies and compared with public markets. With that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ian Fowler and Adam Wheeler. Hello, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm Adam Wheeler. I co-head the private finance platform here with Ian Fowler, who's joining me today. So what we thought we'd do, given that Ian's in town, is we'd we'd pull something together and talk you through, you know, what we've seen um, over the course of the last twelve months, where we think the outlook's going, and and maybe specifically talk about uh, what we thought of the Super Return Conference. Yeah. Yeah. So Ian Fowler, thank you uh, for joining. I co-head the global private finance business with with Adam. I have to say the the theme that I took away from the conference was. Uh, really risk off. A lot of the LPs are obviously concerned about the macroeconomic conditions today. They're worried about the geopolitical risks that, that we see with uh, Russia and Ukraine. And so I think a lot of LPs are taking a step back, being very thoughtful about uh, where they allocate next, and uh, spending a lot of time looking at you know, strategies where they can generate some decent returns, but maybe taking some risk off the table. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think a, a lot of investors that have allocated this asset class are starting to think about how will the asset class perform through a cycle. So I think it is still a relatively new asset class for a lot of particularly, I think, large European uh, pension funds and insurance companies that form a large part of our investor base. And I think they're thinking, you know, how do I, how will this asset class perform through a cycle? Who should I be allocating to? What sort of strategies should be, should be I, should I be looking at? Um, and I think that was a, a large part of the conversation. I think people are still very positively inclined towards the asset class because it just has much less volatility than what they're seeing in, in more public markets um, and has delivered 
um, consistent returns, and they've seen that historically. I think the big question is, is that going to continue over the next sort of six to 12 months mm. as the outlook is, how can I put it, less certain? You know, that's a good point. There's a couple of things that you, uh, you said there that I think it's good to uh, unpack. I think the, the, the first thing is, you know, as you look at this asset class, and, you know, Adam and I have been doing this for a long time, uh, and we've been through many cycles. And so we, we've seen this asset class perform. And I think if you take it at the asset class level and you look at an asset class that is floating rate, that has structural protection, including pledge of, of equity, you know, that gives you that opportunity to earn a nice return, but have that, you know, downside protection. You know, it's, it's, it's a private, obviously private, illiquid, so less volatile and less correlated to other financial assets. So I think, you know, that's important. I think people are really focused on that. But the thing that you said that I want to spend a second talking about is, you know, it's a new asset class for a lot of institutional investors. And, you know, North America, for example, most of the platforms were created after the financial crisis or recession. And I've always said, having been in this space for a long time, that you can underwrite the asset class, you can underwrite the manager and their strategy and their track record, but you've got to underwrite the strength of the platform to survive a cycle. And I suspect there will be some platforms that will not make it through the cycle. And we kind of saw that through COVID to a small degree. Yeah, I mean, COVID was really, as you described a couple of times, more of a speed bump than a, than a real downturn. And we did see some managers in North America struggle through that from a liquidity perspective. Um, some of those raising, you know, in the public market, raising diluted capital to get them through to make sure they fund their revolvers. So I, th I think where we are in the cycle is potentially a much deeper downturn for a longer period of time than what happened through COVID. Yeah. So I think you will see, I think what you're gonna see over the next period of time, I, I was referred to the consolidation of managers. I don't mean people are gonna buy other managers. I mean, what you will see are the strong and capable grow and take market share from the smaller managers who I think are gonna wither and not have access to capital. Uh, and therefore it's gonna be a, a very slow car crash, I think for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a good segue to talk about you know, sort of what we expect might happen in the market. But maybe as part of that segue, let's talk about some of these managers and including us. I mean, we've we've constructed these portfolios and I know you use this phrase about making your bed and now you have to lie in it. So maybe you want to explain to, to everyone what you mean by that. Well, I think as, as we've gone, as this asset class has grown over the last couple of years, we've seen people raise a lot of capital through a bunch of different channels both institutional and more recently through the through the retail channel, high net worth channel. And I think people have been, some market participants have been very aggressively deploying capital. So I think what happens there, you've built a portfolio that isn't necessarily particularly resilient. Um, and during those more aggressive times, uh, you put on assets that probably are, are more cyclical in nature, maybe they're not as resilient businesses, and then what you have to deal with is during a, a, a downturn is you're going to have a large portfolio of problem assets. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be really difficult to, to manage. I've used the uh, term, uh, hit me with the stupid stick. It's like <laughs> those last few deals that you do before the end of the cycle are the ones that come back to, to bite you. Yeah. 
And but the reality is, you've already constructed that portfolio, and you have to live with it, like you like you said. You know, one of the things that I heard from uh, a manager at the conference was, "Well, our portfolio is great. We have no issues in the portfolio." But I mean, we're not talking about this moment today. We're talking about yeah. you know what could happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think every I think the whole asset class would say my portfolio has performed really well in the last twelve months. Right. And we've all come through COVID really well. I think that's largely true. I think when you look at COVID, it's more, you know, retail, restaurant, retail, cyclical businesses that have really struggled. A lot of those have bounced back. You know, a lot of those sectors we just wouldn't touch to begin with because they're they're not resilient through a cycle. Um, and, and I think what we're going to see now is just an acceleration of that um, uh, uh, looking forward. Because I think what you're going to get is a, a, an elongated downturn uh, where the outlook for people is less robust than it has been historically. You know, if we go into a recession in the US, I think you're going to see some cyclicals um, get get banged around. Mm -hmm. I think when you look at our book, I mean, what have we got? 350 to 400 names in the portfolio globally. I think you've largely seen a, a well-performing group of companies. Um, we have seen some price pressure flow through into certain companies, but we've also seen the ability of those companies to push through price increases to their customers. And that's all in the backdrop of pretty sound underlying demand. I think if we start to see demand softening, you'll start to see um, a bit of top line erosion and therefore some margin compression. Um, and, you know, for businesses that are, you know, less quality, lower margin businesses, lower cash flow conversion, you're going to see those businesses started to struggle. Yeah, totally agree. Now you kind of opened uh, Pandora's box here. You you said the R word recession. Mm -hmm. So um, let's what talk. Do you think? Well, I was going to ask you first. <laughs> so like it, since I started talking, I think I get to ask the question. But let's start off and and let's talk about you know what we're seeing in the market and from a macro uh, economic standpoint. And then I guess we can both give our our take on on how we see this playing out. Yeah, I mean, you've only got to open a newspaper to. To, to get a view, like higher interest rates uh, as a consequence of in inflation, you've seen wage pressure flowing through. I think it's more the geopolitical risk that you mentioned at the outset is the real kind of wild card here. Does that spread further? Does it, does it get contained? I mean, energy prices seem like they're going to be um, elevated for some time. Um, so all that, I think, it, that just cannot help but flow through to the broader economy in the next you know six months. Beyond that, I mean, we don't have a crystal ball, but you've got to think there's going to be some softness uh, in the next six months at least. And whether it's longer than that, well, I think that's going to be dictated to more of the geopolitical backdrop. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to predict these things, right? But I think your 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 points are are spot on. I mean, look, we're, we're seeing and we have seen sort of at the tail end of last year and into this year, uh, inflationary pressures. Obviously, we have rising rates. Uh, there's obviously a lot of pressure to increase wages. Yes. And so far, uh, depending on the company, the, the company's position in the market, they've been able to pass through some price increases because demand is still there. But demand is based on confidence, right? And once yeah. uh, demand loses confidence, uh, then all bets are off, right? And, mm -hmm. and you're unable to pass through those price mm -hmm. increases. So I, I think that's the big risk. And to the extent the geopolitical... Uh, can definitely create issues with confidence. I think, like you said, for most people, having uh, increased costs in rent, energy, and food 
all those things combined is going to really squeeze the wallet. And I think that's going to impact demand. I think you're right. I mean, I'm surprised when we look across our, our book that demand or the top line is still held up relatively well across the whole portfolio. That has surprised me. Um, so, I mean, we are exposed to less cyclical businesses, I mean, and also companies that are not big consumers of energy. Um, so uh, that's positive. Again, all, re- all, all, in the, all in the mirror kind of stuff rather than looking forward. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. It's interesting, right? When you look at COVID, we, we benefited from the fact that uh, we don't like consumer-facing businesses. We you know, try to avoid them or minimize our exposure to them. So that obviously helped us yeah. tremendously during, during COVID. And as we look at our portfolio today, and this is, this is why I raised that point earlier about being proactive and looking forward, not looking at today. You can say your portfolio is great today, but look forward and see where, you know, where the risks are, right? Where the cracks could be uh, proactively. And as we look at our portfolio, a majority of our portfolio are professional service businesses. So they're not manufacturers. They're not dealing with higher input costs. And because they're professional services, from a compensation standpoint, they're benefiting from profit sharing as opposed to, you know, wage inflation. So I would say that, you know, in terms of wage inflation, the companies that are really at risk are, are companies with lower skilled employees. And so think about retail restaurants, all those where, you know, the wage is a significant component of their cost structure. And as wages go up, that just is going to eat into those uh, margins of those businesses, which are pretty thin margin businesses to begin with. So we've uh, spent a bit of time talking about the economic outlook. You know, you and I and the whole team spent a lot of time in the sort of private equity community. Uh, it's where most of our transactions come from. How how have you seen deal flow and where do you think it's going to go? And what do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I uh, And it's great the fact that we're we're on the North American Investment Committee, Europe and Asia PAC. So from a relative value perspective and looking at this asset class globally allows us to kind of look at, you know, where there are better opportunities. But I would say certainly in North America, so I'll, I'll, I'll cover North America and then maybe let you cover uh, Europe. I would say in North America, uh, volume is, is definitely down this year. Um, I think if you're a private equity firm, you have to be sitting there looking at valuations in the public market and saying, where is this going? Because, you know, we've all seen purchase price multiples increase pretty dramatically over the last few years. You know, the average is around 12 times-ish, give or take. And if you're paying 12 to 14 times for a value-add distributor today, uh, and you look at the public markets, you have to say, wow, I'm really overpaying. So I think, I think uh, in terms of new platforms, there's been a, a pullback in the market with private equity. Uh, but what I will say, which is really important, is that the investment thesis in, in the private equity world for a long time, uh, for at least the last seven or eight years, has been... Uh, you know, uh, consolidating fragmented markets through add-on acquisitions. And so what we are seeing is a lot of activity within the portfolio. In fact, in terms of new deployment, our deployment in dollars this year is exact, almost exactly as it was last year for the same year-to-date period, but more of it's coming from our portfolio than new platforms. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting point on this thing. I think that's 
definitely been a function of private equity firms paying extremely high multiples over the last couple of years for a very good you know, core platform, a foundation to build on, and then trying to average down their entry multiple um, and using debt to help do that. Um, I think it's going to be interesting if they're going to be continuing to pay the same entry multiple for a new platform. I think you know, you've got to think that's going to that's gonna compress. I think when we look at how much we've been lending to these platforms, that hasn't changed a great deal over the last, you know, three or four years. But when you look at the amount of equity underneath us, it's incredible when you look across the book and there's, you know, I know it, it's between 50 and 60, 55 and 60% equity underneath us. And in all the time I've been doing this, and, you know, you've been doing it for a couple of years longer than me, but not much longer, you see that I've never seen so much equity. It's, yeah. just, it's just incredible. Yeah, actually, on that point, if you actually go back to the last recession, uh, LTV for us in the last recession was around 60%, and today we're in the 40s, right? So yeah. that, that equity cushion is, is just much more material today. The other thing in terms of interest coverage, and LTV is, LTV is great, but the reality is it's not cash, right? Yeah. But uh, in terms of the interest coverage, Today, for our book, we're well, well over three times in terms of interest coverage. And I remember in the last recession, it was uh, under two times for the, for the industry. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I'd be curious what you think. I, I actually think um, what likely happens in this environment is private equity firms hold their portfolio companies longer. I mean, the average duration for us has been around, you know, call it two years, three years, in an asset class where the average duration was kind of four and a half years historically, I think. Uh, so I think people are going to hold these assets longer. And to the extent that there is a compression in values, do more add-ons to, to, uh, to your point to reduce their cost basis, because that's the only way they can kind of maintain that, that return coming out the other end. Yeah. It just means for us, incumbency is really important. Like to be able to deploy capital into a market where there are less high quality, and we can come back to flow, but less high quality new platforms to lend to, then it's the size of your book, the, the number of issue, issuers you have that are going to support deployment. And we've seen that the last 12 months. I mean, we've done as many new add-ons as we have new platforms, and I think that trend's going to, going to continue. Yeah, and I think it's great for investors, right? Because you're actually, even with new funds, right, you're coming in and financing add-ons for well-established companies that we know extremely well uh, that are only getting larger, more diversified, and, and larger scale, and they get to participate in the, in the growth of, of, those, of those businesses. Can you imagine being a, uh, a manager that's uh, doing non-sponsored deals right now and trying to deploy capital? Yeah, it's pretty tough. Be really tough. I mean, just to come back to where we started before we went off on a tangent, just talking about about deal flow. I think to your point about the quality of the flow, I think what we saw, maybe I'll talk about Europe and I'll let you jump in, but I think through through the back end of COVID and coming out of that, I think we saw private equity firms, you know, if they if if they were looking to exit a business, they were selling their quality businesses because that was all that could transact. And I think now as as we've worked through a high high level of quality flow, the, the quality of the flow we're seeing now is is less than what it was. I think that's just, I think you probably agree. I think the thing that, that in, in Europe is we're still seeing a, a lot of volume. I mean, the, the work in progress list that we have is the longest we've ever had, which again, does surprise me. 
Um, so we're able to see enough opportunities that we think are of high quality, but definitely we're declining a lot more transactions a lot earlier in that process than we were, um, say, six to 12 months ago. Uh, as, a, as you think about new deals, uh, let's talk about, you know, are we financing these new deals any differently than we did before? No different. I mean, we've we've had the same approach, the same investment philosophy ever since we've been doing this. And, and our approach is very much to invest through a cycle. What we want to do is, is build really well diversified portfolios that consist of assets that we think are resilient through a downturn. So we have not changed that approach. Clearly, we are more cognizant of what is going on around us, but it's not like that approach has changed. So when you look at you know the size of the companies we lend to, the capital structures we've been deploying, it's been very consistent. And, and I think that's why I think we're positioned well to get through the next uh, six to 12 months. We continue to be very focused on the quality of the businesses that we lend to. Um, so I feel, feel good about where we are. Um, I, I mean, I don't know, do you have anything to add to- Boring is beautiful, man. No, you love that. You? <laughs> you really love that. Uh, no, it's true, and and I think you know I think that's the way we've we've been. But I, but the point I want to make, and this came up in a in a due diligence meeting that we had yesterday here in London, is just because we're boring as beautiful doesn't mean we'll be we won't be opportunistic, um, and there will be opportunities in this dislocation that I expect will occur where. Either it's going to be a portfolio or it's going to be a business. It'll be something where we can buy it at a discount. Now, you know, our business is is not in the in the business of uh, lending to distressed companies uh, that are having operating issues. That's a that's a totally different strategy. Uh, but to the extent that we can find uh, on a relative value basis. Uh, opportunities to invest in companies at a discount because the lender needs liquidity. We're going to do that all day long. And I think it goes beyond uh, the capital. We'll, we'll look at people, we'll look at businesses, we'll look at everything. Um, and I, I truly believe that we need some sort of reset here in this asset class. Now, I think there's going to be some interesting opportunities. So, I mean, we see ourselves, as we would talk about, as being a, a solutions provider. You know, we invest up and down the capital stack. Uh, and I think there's going to be some really interesting uh, opportunities for us to deploy capital. Not just at, I mean, we're very focused on at the top of the capital stack today. But I think as we work through the next six to 12 months, I think to be able to provide a solution to a private equity firm when they've got a, a slightly messy balance sheet or you've got someone that needs some capital, I think that's going to be really interesting. And I think we can generate some some pretty good risk-adjusted returns for investors. I agree. Now, the other question that comes up quite frequently uh, with investors right now is looking at valuation in the public markets yeah. versus the, the private markets. So uh, what, what's your thought on kind of where we are today and how do you think things will change over the next you know six months to a year? Yeah. I mean, the, the public markets are basically shot. I mean, so, so what you're seeing are very small amounts of of trading activity that are setting prices. And just speaking to our high yield colleagues, it seems like every time a trade happens, it just pushes the price down further and, and spreads widen. So what you've got there is you know, a market that, that's not functioning. So I think it's, it's very difficult to benchmark our current pricing to what you see in public markets today, because it's, it's just not a functioning market. Um, so clearly the, the spreads are, are wider in public markets today. I also think what, what you see in, in our space is that there's a bit of a time lag. 
So what we're starting to see now is, uh, I think, first in North America, I mean, on investment committee now in North America, we're definitely seeing, you know, structures change, pricing move. Um, is it going to move out to exactly where the high yield market is today? I think that that's a big stretch. I mean, we're not going to be doing, you know, seven, eight hundred. 900 over for no, before we're credit. We're a functioning market. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I, what you will see, I think, is a reset in terms of pricing and structure. Um, it's, I think, first in North America. I don't yeah. know what you think. Yeah, no, totally agree. And like you said, you know, we're starting, well, we're starting to see that happen. It's always been a lag, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that's it's, one of the benefits of the asset class, it, right? It's a function of being a private market because you don't yeah. just... Like in the high yield market, you go and buy something and you set a price. Right. I think when we're doing a deal in our market, you know, that takes a couple of months to get a transaction done. So you're negotiating with someone right. over a long period of time. If you want to kill your relationship with your counterpart, then at five minutes to midnight, you recut the price. Right. That's kind of not what we do. Right. Um, so you've, you've got to follow through on, on what you said you do with your private equity relationships. And then when new transactions start to flow through, that's when the opportunity arises to, to reset, which is what we're seeing now. Well, the other reality is you can look at the public market today and see, you know, where things are trading. But if you own that market today, you've just taken a big hit in your book, right? And yeah. so yeah. I, I think that's the other point. So I think we're starting to see that in Europe as well. There's, mm -hmm. there's now some upward movement, I think, in pricing. Um, I think it'll take a little bit of time to flow through, but uh, I think it's starting to happen. You know, at the end of the day, right, when you look at this asset class, and this goes back to the comment about having been through multiple cycles and, and uh, you know, for the North American market, which is, you know, really has been a market that's been established over 20-something years. So it's already been tested through recessions. And you look at where we deploy capital, and, and this is part of the economy that, you know, is a third of the U.S. economy. It's the growth engine of the U.S. economy, employs over 30% of the labor force. We saw the government support small business during COVID. So when you look at this asset class, I feel very good about our ability to weather the storm, and I think it creates opportunities during that storm. I think the key thing is you have to have a good portfolio going into the storm. Uh, and a strong platform with diversified capital, uh, which is strength in any kind of uh, dislocation. And I think if you're well positioned, you're going to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that come out of uh, any type of dislocation. Oh, I agree. And I think, you know, the public markets being shut creates opportunities sure. for this asset class. So if you think about it at the small end of the spectrum, this is more of a European thing, but, you know, banks are a large part of a, the leverage finance market in, in Europe providing you know, what I would describe as more vanilla structures for smaller transactions. Those banks are basically out of the market. They're not willing to underwrite or syndicate anything. So that means I think you're seeing less tension in, in the more, what I'll just describe as, as I said, as vanilla structures, which, you know, work well for our investment style. And at the large end of the market, clearly those companies are not able to, to access um, the broadly syndicated loan market. So there's a lot more stuff at the top end of the range as well. That's generally a little bit big for us, but I think it means that when companies, and we've seen that, that have grown through our portfolio and are looking to, which would, you know, they've they've changed hands, gone to another private equity firm, normally they would access the high yield market. And what we're seeing, um, we've been able to retain those businesses where we haven't been able to do that in the past. So that's that's clearly working well. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I think we're uh, running out of time, but thank you for all your support. And uh, please don't hesitate to call us with any questions. Thank you for your time and thank you for your support. I hope we, we did not bore you senseless for the last <laughs> half an hour. Boring is beautiful.
Thanks for listening to episode number 11 of season six of Streaming Income. If you'd like to stay up to date on our latest thoughts on asset classes ranging from high yield and private credit to real estate, alternatives, and emerging markets, make sure to follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We publish a new episode every other week. And if you have specific feedback, you can email us at podcast at bearings.com. That's podcast at B-A-R-I-N-G-S.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.